I want to read to you from Luke's gospel. And I just ask you to listen. Um, as we hear this, the remaining part of this teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? I mean, um, even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, and everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood came and the torrent struck the house, the flood and the torrent did not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and doesn't put it into practice is like a man who builds a house on ground with no foundation. And the moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and the destruction was complete. And this is how Jesus closes 
this teaching. Call it the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and the Sermon on the Level Place or the Plain in Luke. Now, a few weeks ago, we, we uh, had a little uh, discussion with our prayer pals during the, during the sermon. You may not be sitting next to your prayer pals today, but I bet you've got some prayer pals around you. And the first thing I want you to talk to one another, we're going to just go one minute, okay? One minute. How have you heard and how do you understand the golden rule? The golden rule. Did you hear those words come up in the uh, sermon? You might have heard the words of what we think is the golden rule. Then again, you might be thinking, I don't remember you saying anything about a golden rule. That's good. Why don't you talk to each other for just one minute, and then we're going to continue thinking about this together. Okay, you ready? We can do this. It doesn't have to be Prayer Pal Sunday to do this, right? Okay, do this. Let's hear you talk about the golden rule. I was just thinking of a few things as we were doing this exercise. For some people today, and we're doing this also because children's worship is with us today, so we want to engage them. And if you had an opportunity to talk with some of our children, then God bless you. That's a, that's a great opportunity. And I'm just thinking that um, some people may have heard about the golden rule for the first time today. It might be the first time they've heard it called the golden rule. They might have connected that principle with that with that term. One of the things I've noticed is that anytime we take a teaching of Jesus and we give it a nickname like the golden rule, we need to refresh our memory from time to time as to what the golden rule is. I'm also wondering, just like the Great Commission, we think we know what the Great Commission says, but we'd better be sure, and that's a sermon for another time. But I'm thinking that in exchanging that information with one another and saying golden rule, we might realize maybe we have different understandings of the golden rule. Because you can, you, know, you can twist it just ever so subtly. The golden rule is, I will do unto others as they have done to me. Oh, that sounds biblical, but that's not the way it works. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, what if I, and then of course that leads to the discussion of, well, what if I want to be harsh and critical of everybody and that's what I expect people to do to me? Oh, Okay. I'm wondering if some of you just talking today said, you know, the golden rule is do whatever I say and life will be easy. Yeah, I don't know. You know what you said and how you exchanged it. When we listen to what Jesus says, what he calls the golden rule is summed up in that statement. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Or whatever you wish others would do, then that is what you do to them. But there's a lot that goes around it too, like this command, this instruction that can also be summed up with this phrase, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That's, that's not hypothetical and that's, that, that's not easy to hear because we don't often think about loving our enemies. In verse 35 and 36, Jesus says that when you... When you show that love and that kindness to those who mistreat you, when you treat other people better than they would treat you, when you treat others the way you would want to be treated in the best of all situations, 
then you're proving to everyone, you're proving to God, you're showing that you are God's kid. You're one of the king's kids. You're the child of the Most High. And the reason why we know that is because you have certain characteristics and traits of your Father who is the Most High. Do you get that? It's a family trait. Because God God shows... uh, Mercy, even to those who don't deserve it, to the unkind, to the ungrateful. And of course, this always leads us into a a type of discussion where we get very philosophical about the, um, the golden rule and the teaching of Jesus. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not putting you down for this, because I do this, I've done this, and I even, in studying for this, I did it again. I was, ask, I was asking myself, is this really practical? Can you do this in every situation? I mean, does it make sense? Can a society build its ethic and its justice and its law based on the golden rule? I mean, what would happen if we let criminals escape justice on the basis of the golden rule because we're going to allow those who have struck us on the cheek collectively strike us on the other cheek. Is is that really realistic? Can we do that? I mean, what happens to a world where that starts to take place? Just hold that. Hold that thought of will it really work? Because Jesus goes on to talk about the good measure. As Cade was telling us during the Lord's Supper, generosity creates generosity. And if you're a child of the Most High, then you realize that your family trait is the generosity of the Most High God. And He even shows His graciousness to the the ungrateful and the unkind. Now, What Jesus has just given us there is a very different image of God than the default. I believe that our default setting of God, and I'm I'm going to show you because it's right here in this text, in the way we read it. But our default setting of God is that He is the one with the hammer of justice ready to come down on those who get it wrong. And He's just waiting. And the whole world is like a big whack-a-mole game at Chuck E. Cheese. And as soon as we pop up and the, the, the sinfulness of our life comes out, bam, he smacks it down. And so we're all supposed to do the right thing because if we don't, then God will smite us. I don't, we never use that word smite unless we're talking about God and his wrath. And so we read this part about the good measure and we instantly assume that how much we judge, condemn, forgive, or give is going to set the scale for how much God gives, forgives, judges to us. And yet I ask you, when in this did Jesus say that God's love and God's forgiveness and grace is conditional? Where did he say that? What he has in fact told us is that the Most High is gracious even with those who don't deserve it. And you remember the the, the little teaching where he said that um, what credit is it to you 
If you show kindness to those who are kind to you, what credit is it to you if you lend to those who are going to pay you back? Okay, got a little problem with that word credit. Because credit is something we can earn. Credit is something that we deserve. If you think about the last time you had your credit score checked, then you think about all the good decisions that you made that got you a high credit score, or you think about all the bad decisions you've made that got you a low credit score. And then everybody's going to tell you how you can change that credit score and make it better if you do the right thing. See, credit is something that you can earn. But the word there that's translated credit in this Bible is actually the word for grace. He's saying, I believe that Jesus is saying, how is it grace? How is it a gift given to you, living in you, if you show the basic worldly expectation of giving to people who are going to give back, of loving people who love you back? How is that the kingdom? It's not. And yet sometimes we settle for that basic measure. This good measure that he's talking about, it's like that bowl of rice that's just heaped up and pouring over the side. When it says it's poured into your lap, you might think, well, that's a funny place for him to give out the blessings because how are you going to, you know, your lap goes away when you stand up. I mean, what, what happened to it? But he's talking about them with their shirts like this. I remember as a kid going to the garden and we would have our t-shirts and we'd be picking strawberries or whatever it was and we would fill our t-shirts up and we're just carrying it around because we didn't have a basket. And boy, you wanted to see how much you could tuck in there. Well, that's, that's, that's what they're doing. It's going to be, and it's going to be a good measure. It's going to be shaken down. It's going to be tight. The only way I can explain to you what that means is I want to give you an opposite, okay? And the opposite would be a bag of potato chips. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you go to the store. You get the big, huge, family-sized, gargantuan-sized, army-level uh, bag of potato chips, right? Huge, puffy bag. It's bigger than a pillow, okay? You take the thing home and you open it up. Poof! A big, giant gust of air comes out, and there's about five chips down in the bottom, you know, and a, and a, and a puddle of oil. And... Uh, you feel cheated. No matter how many potato chips are in that bag, you feel cheated. Because you know that it's been filled with air. Jesus is saying that the way that we treat others, the kind of grace that we can practice, is the grace we're going to get back. But did he say get back from God? Think about it. Just think about it. Did he say? Because if that's the case, then God's conditional. God, I was very loving and kind to people. Fine, I'll be loving and kind to you. God, I was very stingy to people. Then I will be stingy with you. That's not the most high. That's not God the Father. He's not like that. I think he's saying that when you practice the kind of graciousness that God has practiced to you, lo and behold, if you won't see that that has an effect on those around you. It's like the old story of the fellow who owned the gas station at the end of town. And as people would move into town, they would always ask him the same thing. Hey, we're moving to this town. Can you tell us what the people are like? And the old wise fellow at the gas station would say the same thing. Well, he goes, what were they like in the town you lived in? 
One family says, ah, they were the worst people. They were so nasty, and they just were mean. Nobody invited you out. I mean, you couldn't trust anyone. And the guy pumping gas would say, yep, that's probably what you're going to find in that town. Another couple comes up, same guy, same town. They say, hey, we're just curious. What are people like in that town? And the old fellow just says, you know, what were people like in the town you're moving from? Best people in the world. We loved them. They were great. They were fantastic. You know, some of our dearest friends. And he said, that's probably what you're going to find in the town ahead. Make sense? I think that's what God's saying here. I think that's what Jesus is teaching us. Is that when we learn to be these children of the king who can be generous with our judgment, who can be generous with our measure, then we're not going to be finding a loophole in God's legal code to the universe that allows us to manipulate him to get more blessings. I'm going to keep giving to God. God says 10%, 15%. Let's see what kind of investment I get. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. You can't outgive God, but that doesn't mean that God, that there's some game where you can rig it so that you get more. What it means is that when we learn to avoid the kind of judgment that causes us to hate our enemies rather than love our enemies, then that hatred is going to boomerang back on us. You see, we get hung up in this philosophical question of whether or not the teaching of Jesus is practical and sufficient. And the whole time we're talking about that, and we're talking about whether or not this can work in society, and, well, Jesus says that, but he doesn't say you should be naive. Of course not. He never said anything about that. I get it. But why can't we hear this teaching of Jesus as a word spoken directly to us? I mean, instead of seeing this as Jesus laying out the, um, the, the, the ethical code or the constitution for how we ought to all live, what if instead it's you and Jesus talking to one another, sitting down at table, and he's saying to you, love your enemy. Don't judge or you're going to be judged. By who? Trust me, you're just going to be judged. You're going to get it. Others are going to judge you. You're going to be paying attention to what you think others are saying about you, whether they're saying it or not, and you're going to be judging yourself more than anybody. I mean, when you judge others, there's a voice inside of you judging you all the time. And when you condemn others, that's probably because there's a voice condemning you. And if it's not there, it will be. And Jesus is trying to pull us. He's sitting across the table from us, and he's trying to pull us out of that. And this is when he tells us that wonderful word that we need to hear so that we can gain healing. That wonderful word that is so crystal clear about the plank in our eyes. Let's take another minute, and here's what I want you to do with your prayer pals. I want you to ask this simple question. You may think, well, that's just that's, a, that's a, such a simple question. Why do we have to talk about it? You'll be surprised at what you teach each other. Why is it hard to take the speck out of your friend's eye when you've got a beam, a two-by-four, a plank, a stick in your own eye? Why is that difficult? One minute. Go.
Well, I'm really anxious to hear what you've taught each other because I'm sure there's a lot of different ways to, to look at this. You know, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. As Jesus says, can the blind lead the blind? I mean, if you're trying to, if you're trying to help somebody else out and you've got your own vision problem, it's not going to inspire a lot of confidence. But Jesus is giving us that image so that we can take care of the problem that we have. And that means we need to go to him. And I want you to imagine again, this isn't the big societal plan, the big ethical plan that Jesus is giving us. Because every time we do that, every time we nod to Jesus and say, mm-hmm, amen, Jesus, that's right, the world would be a better place if everybody would follow the golden rule, get the plank out your own eye. I know a lot of people need to get the plank out of your own eye. I'm with you, Jesus, I'm with you. And once again, what have we done? We've just judged everyone else. And we've said, amen, Jesus. Let's hear it for Jesus. Three cheers for Jesus. And so on and so forth. And, and at the same time, we've done nothing. Jesus is saying, I'm preaching this word for you. I'm talking to you. And he wants us to see more clearly And here's the thing, you need him to help you see more clearly. I'm going to tell you how you can get this sermon wrong, okay? I'm going to tell you how you can get it wrong today. You will get this sermon wrong if you leave here today and you're talking over dinner or talking to others or people ask you or you're just thinking about the sermon and you say, preacher said we needed to follow the golden rule preacher said we needed to love our enemies the preacher said that we need to forgive those and boy that's hard but the preacher said it and i don't know that i agree with him that will be the best way you can get this sermon wrong because i want you to know something i'm not telling you anything of the sort in fact if this was my sermon and not the sermon of the lord i'd be giving you some much different advice well i know Because I've got a huge plank in my eye. And I would be trying to take the speck out of your eye. And I am a bad, bad judge. I'm not good. I come up with solutions that are going to mess things up even worse. Let me just make it real, make it practical about the news that we've seen. You may have seen this moment on the news where this criminal who abused a lot of people was confronted by this father. And this father was enraged. And he's enraged and he said to the judge in that courtroom, I would ask you to, as part of the sentencing, to grant me five minutes in a locked room with this demon. I would have said, if I was the judge, do you want ten And I admit to you and I confess freely, there's a part of me that wished that that guy was faster. So he could have cleared that courtroom before the bailiffs put him down on the ground. I want that. I want that. And you may be saying, yeah, but that's okay because this guy is really bad. Mm -hmm. And that's what you would get if you're in a discussion with me. But you're not. If you want to get this sermon right then you need to listen to what the Lord says and do that because that's how change, things are going to change. You know, we can, we, can kind of, we can begin to understand this. Fred Craddock says, without justice and fairness, grace degenerates into permissiveness. 
without justice and grace, or justice and fairness, then the grace that God gives degenerates into permissiveness, okay? But justice without grace hardens into cruelty. And we find ourselves at different points somewhere along that spectrum. We're either going to the permissive grace or we're going over here into the hardened cruelty. And then Jesus says, why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? And that's the part that convicts me. That's where we're going to get this right. I know it's hard sometimes to hear what Jesus calls us to do. He never said it was easy. But it's right. If we call him Lord, then we must practice what he preaches. I'm not saying that criminals should not face justice. I'm not saying that people who've done bad things should not face justice. Justice, grace needs justice or it just becomes it becomes sloppy agape. And that's not going to help anyone. And that's not what God wants. But when justice loses grace, it's no longer justice. It becomes anger and it becomes vengeance. And it becomes the kind of cruelty that causes people to hurt others. You'll remember that a few years ago we had a sermon series out of Judges and there was one refrain that kept coming up in Judges over and over again and it said, in those days there was no king and people did whatever was right in their own eyes. What if you and I did what was, whatever we thought was right in our own eyes? And what, and you might think, well, you know, we're pretty good. I mean, we might be able, we might be able to pull that off. I mean, maybe we could, you know, we could be all a lot of good humanists, basically good people. Mm-hmm. And here we all are running around with two-by-fours and sticks hanging out of our eyes, and we're going to do what's right in our own eye. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, if, if you will take the things that I teach you and put them into practice, then you've, you've built on a solid foundation. You know, people always want to say, you need to practice what you preach. I'll listen to that preacher because he practices what he preaches. I try what I preach. Sometimes I, it, it, it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I'm going to practice what Jesus preaches. And I want you to practice what Jesus preaches because he's a much better teacher and judge. And you see that in the story of the centurion that comes. Luke, Luke knows what he's doing. He puts this story right at the end of that little story about the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. Here's this centurion. This centurion sends, he's got, he's got a child that's sick. He's probably going to die. He sends his agents out, his people out, sends them to Jesus. In Luke's version, it's actually some of the Jewish leaders. And they say, listen, this man needs you to heal his son. So why don't you come over to his house? I mean, if anybody deserves a visit from Jesus, it's this man. This man is good. We know he's one of the outsiders, he's technically one of the enemy, but hey, he built us a synagogue. He's all right. So Jesus, we know you're busy, we know you've got a lot going on, but let me tell you, this isn't just some, you know, 
person on a bed being lowered down by, the, from, from by his friends from the roof. I mean, this is a really good guy, high-ranking official. If anybody deserves it, it's him, Jesus. Come to his house. So they start to go over there. Suddenly, the centurion's men encounter them and say, no, centurion has a message for you. Don't, and his message is this, Lord, don't bother yourself. You don't need to come to my house. I know a little something about authority, and I sense that you have authority. And all you have to do is say the word, like me. When I tell this person, you need to do this, and, you need to, and I tell this person, you need to do this, they do it. When I say jump, people say how high. He goes, I understand what authority is, Jesus, and you have that authority. I'm not worthy of you coming to my house. I just want my son healed. Say the word, and it'll be done. And Jesus says, that's the kind of faith I've been looking for among my people, and I've never seen it as great as that. See, the centurion understands something about authority. He understands what it means to be a Lord. And I want us to think every day, and I want us to consider today, do we understand what it means to come together like this, have banners up that say King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and say, Oh, Lord, Lord, and I praise your name, Lord, Lord. And then when we leave here, it's our rules, our way. We know best. People are going to pay attention. They're going to show some respect. Mm Mm-hmm. But on Sunday, Lord, I'm going to be thinking of nobody but you. Yeah. If we say, Lord, Lord, then we ought to do what he says. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would help us to call you Lord and live as if you are Lord and King. And Father, we're going to confess that that is hard at times, especially with the things that you've asked us to do. But Father, just help us every day to get it, to understand why you're asking us to trust in you. That you're trying to heal a world filled with blindness. That you're trying to heal a world filled with hypocrites. And that we need to put you in the justice business and that when we trust in you, you're going to make things right. Father, just help us to put down a good, solid foundation practicing what you preach. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I told you, there will be shepherds here and shepherds in room 100, and, and, and they'll be glad to talk to you about any of this, uh, about following Jesus and what it means to be a part of a family of faith that encourages one another to follow Jesus. Let's stand up. Let's sing together.